0: everybody, and welcome to Best Seat on the Couch, the podcast where our short-term memory loss is absolutely crippling. My name is Alex. I'm Iris. I'm Marcus.
1: And I'm Michael.
0: And today, we are talking about the Disney Pixar animated film, Finding Nemo. Directed by Andrew Stanton, the movie premiered in May 2003 and follows Marlin and Nemo, a father and son clownfish duo on the Great Barrier Reef. Marlin, having lost his wife and other kids before Nemo was hatched, is overprotective of Nemo, refusing to let anything happen to him. But when Nemo, who is angry about his father's overprotectiveness, gets abducted by scuba divers, it is up to Marlin and the forgetful Dory to travel to Sydney, Australia to save his son. The film was a commercial success, making 940 million on a 94 million budget, and was received with critical acclaim having a 99% rating on Rotten Tomatoes, with critics praising the grounded story, animation, music, and characters. The film was also the first Pixar film to win Best Animated Feature at the Academy Awards, and was the highest-grossing animated film at the time of its release. And, as always, there will be spoilers. So, I'll just start off by saying that Finding Nemo is probably my dad's favorite animated film. Uh, I would... This was like the film he would put on if if I wanted to go watch something. It was either like Land Before Time or Finding Nemo. And the reason why he loved it so much was because it was a father and son story.
2: That's sweet.
0: (laughs) No, and he's like, he's like, Alex, I really like this movie because of like how how the father and son are just uh, doing family things. I think the one thing that resonated with him and me uh, a lot when we first watched this movie was at the very beginning uh Nemo is bouncing on top of Marlin. He's like, get up, get up, it's time for school, it's time for school. And what my dad and I would do uh, was when I was like one or two years old, he would be lying at the very bottom of the couch. And I like stand on top of the couch and just like cannonball onto his exposed stomach and just, like kill his breath. <laughs> At that moment, <laughs> oh,
3: you see, see, that was a thing in our family too. But instead of referencing Finding Nemo, we referenced the classic Dr. Seuss title, Hop on Pop.
0: <laughs>
3: <laughs> uh,
0: uh Unfortunately, uh, if that gets animated, we'll we'll go down your memory lane, Iris. I suppose.
3: Wasn't there already a doctor like a Cat in the Hat movie that was like there, it, like the, there, there was a Lorax action. movie, yeah? Too. There was the Lorax. movie we talk about.
1: There was also Horton hears a Who, I think. Honestly, right. even
3: if the Cat in the Hat movie uh, like, were something we could talk about on this podcast, I don't think I'd want to. It's like uncanny. <laughs>
0: uh But regardless to say, I've watched this movie a lot as a kid, and I re-found like, the lines and the memories coming back to me when I watched it again for this podcast episode. And I think, of course, I got a lot of the adult jokes, as you do when you rewatch a piece of children's media, but I was reminded and surprised at how deep the storytelling was and how like, character-focused it was. There were some moments where I felt myself tearing up just based on the love between Marlin and Nemo and how that sort of evolves over time. Dory, of course, is great. I keep forgetting that she's voiced by Ellen DeGeneres. <laughs> uh, I mean, it just doesn't make the connection in my mind. Uh, but, yeah, I really do think that this is pic- one of Pixar's gems of, of uh, I think, their entire repertoire, I'd say. I really do think it's a solid film all around. It's a great family story. There's character development. There's a lot of sad moments, and also like pretty, pretty scary themes and uh, mature themes as well. Like we, right at the beginning, we have his mom uh, and a bunch of siblings die and inflict Marlon with a lot of deep-seated trauma, uh, and so. It really is a special film. I think that Finding Nemo... I mean, whenever kids see (laughs) a a blue fish at uh, my place of work at the museum, they always say, it's Dory! Or if they see a clownfish, they say, it's Nemo! It's been stuck in the cultural headspace for such a long time, and I think for a really, really good reason. But yeah... I, I, I really want I
3: wanna I wanna clarify for our listeners that it's not just that they see a blue fish. like it literally is the same species. <laughs> yeah like it's it's not just that the fish are both blue. like no, that's a blue tang.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I really do think this film deserves its place in the the cultural spotlight. But uh, what about the rest of y'all? What are your thoughts about uh, finding Nemo and your first experiences with it?
1: So yes, uh, along with Alex uh, finding Nemo, is also one of those movies that i basically was always saying hey we should watch finding nemo but of course not saying it like that just forcing my parents to watch it with me um yeah this this movie is lovely and to be honest i actually don't think i've seen it in like five to ten years maybe it's been a while um and so rewatching it today was uh, a huge sort of Uh, journey not just through nostalgia but also through the wonder that is this film um this is an amazing film um i briefly looked up the as i always do with pixar films i think um the 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 list of pixar films chronologically as they came out and it looks like this is pixar's fifth film with their four previous films being toy story a bug's life toy story 2 and monsters inc and while I do think that Monsters Inc. in particular is very, very beloved by many people, Monsters Inc. I, I honestly don't remember or haven't attached a lot of my own memories to it. Finding Nemo was the first one where I was like, "This is an amazing Pixar film." Mm-hmm. And like when you
3: were old enough to like form an opinion that was like cogent about a piece I think of media. So
1: yeah and and it honestly only kept getting up the next one is incredibles then cars then ratatouille then wally then up it's like you this was like almost like i feel like the 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 beginning of the pixar golden age and it really led the charge in that spec like it's just beautiful what they're able to do with just everything the animation is beautiful in freaking 2003 all the water i can't even imagine how long the ray tracing took on that stuff (laughs) <laughs> and the writing is somehow like almost it. it's weird because they are especially marlin uh is so colloquial in his speech but it somehow is also kind of timeless in a way um like the way that marlin talks with dory and with nemo and with the other fish um it's great um yeah. So I think this movie is just great and as Alex said it definitely deserves it uh it's it's uh it's spot in the history of this uh of this medium. Yeah, for real. There
3: were well, I'm, I'm struggling uh, on whether to phrase this as there were a lot of things I forgot about Finding Nemo or a lot of things I remember about Finding Nemo. And I guess the best way to phrase it is that there were a lot of things that I forgot that I remembered about <laughs> Finding Nemo. So many scenes. like I saw the, 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 the first beginning of the scene, I hear one line and I instantly... In my brain, was like, oh, I know everything that is going to happen next, right? Like, so much of this movie was seared into my brain, like, so clearly. Like, I was shocked at how easy it was for me to follow along and, like, know all the different story beats as they were happening, because I'm not sure that I've seen this movie before this last week, like, five, six years or more. Uh, it's, it's beyond me to know exactly how long, but... It's it's truly fantastic, and I think in my memory, I had underestimated how memorable this movie is, like, both to me personally and also in the cultural sense, like, just briefly... Off the top of my head, right? Like this movie gave us Just Keep Swimming. This movie yep. gave us Fish Are Friends, Not Food. P. Sherman, Forty Two Wallaby Way Sydney, mm-hmm. which you know I had memorized like <laughs> as a kid <laughs> and still do to this day. Sharkbait Shark Sharkbait Hoo ha And also like bait, the hoo-ha-ha. chant you know, like ha hoo hwahe ha ha ho yes, Exactly, right? <laughs> exactly <laughs> with those syllables. This uh this gave us, you know, uh, he's squishy, he shall be mine, he shall be my squishy. Right? Like, so many just truly iconic moments uh, that are just part of today's cultural consciousness, you know, part of meme language and reference language. Uh, it's 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 truly amazing, you know, just how enduring this movie is. And I'm not sure that a lot of, at least I didn't give it credit for that. And I think the other thing in, in, that I had underestimated from my own memory is just how poignant this movie is and how touching and how emotional and how, like fulfilling and complex the character development is and i'll get more into this when we talk about favorite scenes favorite characters but wowie is there some really understatedly fantastic character writing in this Mm. and i firmly believe that this is it's it's the kind of subtle and yet deep and 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 detailed and uh full character writing that a lot of other kids' movies should be aspiring to. And if you want to say that this is the start of kind of Pixar's rise to glory, that this was like their their big breakaway, I would be inclined to agree with you. Like, obviously not to denigrate Toy Story 1 or 2. Bug's Life was also there. But (laughs) (laughs) this was, you know, really, I feel like, in my memory, the first, like, wow. I agree, yeah. How dare you disrespect Bug's Life?
1: (laughs) Well, also, I mean, Monsters Inc. is also there, and I know that a lot of people love that one too. Uh, uh, Monsters Inc. is is
3: fantastic, truly.
1: we need to talk about that film on this show.
3: We we do. And
1: Bug's Life. Bug's Life is one of the movies of all time. Would you you (laughs) would
2: you believe that we have
3: only talked about I think three Pixar films so far on this podcast? Oh boy! The Incredibles, Ratatouille, Toy Story, and then Now Finding Nemo makes
2: four. Well, we did Wally. We did Wally. Oh, we did Wally. We we talked about
1: Soul technically. That's yes. Soul is also true. Or... Yeah,
2: like... So that that feels like a different era. It is. Era. No, you're right. So, it feels like right. It's very so a little bit, a little history. bit, yeah. a, you're a little right, bit more but... than three. But, but, but yeah. Like we haven't talked about Up either. And like... Oh,
1: we did Inside Out though. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, I, I consider that the same era as Soul. But hmm, yeah, you know...
3: the, I, like if if we talk about like the Disney Renaissance, we can talk about like the Pixar Golden Age.
1: Yeah, exactly.
3: You know, like the, the I... tw- like 2000 to 2010
1: ish. Oh God, when we talk about Up on this podcast. Yeah,
2: oh god! I that really uh, hits ready. you with a sledgehammer in the first five minutes. <laughs> but but I think I, I I will I will say that I think this is probably the first like yes this is the start of Pixar's golden age. I consider Finding Nemo to kind of be the first movie that Pixar put out that really made like the world kind of be like wow this is a this is a really striking animated movie for kids. That I, an adult, really enjoyed. Like this is what really kind of put Pixar, I think, in the public eye and allowed them to go through with the stories about what if fish had feelings, what if you know robots had, feel- and, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, uh, for that for that reason, I really, really like Finding Nemo just for its maturity and its you know uh, its attempt to do something different in the in the kind of the kids movie formula of the time like the really the only kid quote-unquote kids joke is touching the butt and also you made me ink so <laughs> everything else about it, Alex as you said there's some real trauma in there kind of hits you really hard at the beginning and you see you you feel Marlon's pain throughout the entirety of the movie you feel Nemo's terror of being you know just like his both his childlike you know like his uh his passion and his like ability to try and like you know keep you know going and trying to escape but also his terror and like being in this strange place and wanting to get back with his dad and he constantly screams his like dad all the time when he's you know in danger even though marlon's nowhere around it's it's really striking and um I guess the the thing that I'll say to end my spiel, and I'm really sorry to even have to mention this movie in the same vein, but I can't believe Shark Tale comes <laughs> two years after this movie and, and, and just fucking destroys everything. Like, it is, it just, it, it like, Finding Nemo is a masterpiece. Shark Tale is, is...
3: Shark Tale was written... <laughs> by a by a writing room that thought that the profit making part of finding nemo was the fish
0: yeah <laughs> yeah.
3: yeah and that's sure. that's on derivative movies what
1: about the mafioso part of the <laughs> oh god <laughs> yeah.
3: yeah how dare you bring
0: that up in and- <laughs> in in this hollowed ground of finding Nemo. <laughs> it this, just hit me like halfway through a, the movie. Holy space, I, Marcus. I,
2: I couldn't I couldn't stop myself from, from thinking about how, <laughs> Honestly, I feel how like they tarnish this about fish, you know?
3: We have no leg to stand on. We talked about actually no, this is Michael's fault. We talked about Chartel before we talked about this movie, so
1: Yeah, we did. <laughs> well we now go. you can
2: look at it as we are atoning for our sins. That's true. Better late than never. <laughs>
0: But let's talk about our favorite moments and our favorite characters. And I'm going to start first, because I've been letting you all uh, go before me, so it's time to... Yeah, now that we,
3: like, have finally complained enough. <laughs> time to reassert. We need to, what we need to start doing is like rolling a 1d4 at the beginning <laughs> oh, of every episode oh, to I figure don't... out who gets to go first. <laughs> we'll alternate weeks or something like that. We'll, we'll split custody of first <laughs> Um
0: But I've... I think it's pretty hard for me to pick my favorite character because there's so many good ones. But, I mean, this whole movie is split between Marlon's story and Nemo's story, and we meet so many different great characters along the way. There's, like, Crush. There's uh, Bruce. I it was For me, it was torn between Bruce, uh, just as, like, my favorite joke character. But... For fear of stealing it from others, I think I am going to have to pick Gil as my oh, favorite come character. come on!
2: <laughs> it's, 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 like, it's, mm. it's, it's, it's
1: it's Willem Dafoe.
2: It's DeFoe. Willem Dafoe? It's Willem Dafoe. I recognized
3: shit. it like during the middle of the first appearance, and I was like, wait, what the fuck? <laughs> and it's Willem Dafoe. Damn. Yeah, no. And for many of the
0: same reasons why I think you're going to say uh, Gil was your favorite character, Iris, I think that he... Provide He's like the perfect, not antithesis of Marlin, but he's like, he provides a different perspective on uh, parenting for Nemo. And like, as a authority figure for Nemo, he, from like, the instant he meets Nemo, he doesn't coddle him. He puts his faith in him. He trusts him to get out of uh, the little filter tube on his own. And... That's like something so different than what Nemo has been experiencing with Marlin's overprotectedness. And as we see their relationship continue growing, we see like the seeds uh, being planted in Nemo's mind about how, like, how he can do things on his own. He's able to uh, go out on his own, really accomplish things. I mean, he did the entire filter clogging by himself. And when he finally reunites with Marlon at the end, uh, all those skills and all those um, lessons he learned with Gil really come together in the last scene, which is also my favorite moment uh, when they are all there in that giant school of fish in the net. They're swimming down because it brings together so many different things we've seen in the movie that just keeps swimming uh motto and the we've seen gill and the rest of the aquarium fish like swim down to snap the net out of the the dentist's uh dentist's hand and it all comes together in this really heartfelt moment where marlin finally is able to like let nemo do his thing and i just think it's so poetic and it also made me cry a little when i watched it Uh, especially the scene where he's like holding on to Nemo and we see the little egg with the crack in it. That was when like the tears started coming. Uh, But what about the rest of y'all? What are your favorite moments and favorite characters uh, for this movie?
1: Oh yeah. um, That was probably either my second or third favorite scene. Definitely a shout out there. Um, I'll start with my favorite character as well. And like, you and iris are probably going to talk about with gill i think that i my favorite character is a different fatherly figure that being mm-hmm. crushed dude mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> because like gill he also acts as a father figure in the movie for marlin to bounce off of and the the moment where you know the kid turtle that was squirt yeah squirt uh leaves the the what the fuck are they? The current. That's what, that's what it is, right? The East, the Australian, EAC. Current. East Australian current. Um East Australian current. When he, like, uh, gets knocked out of it and Marlon gets worried immediately. But Crush trusts Squirt to find his way back. Um, and it's just this moment of Marlon's both understanding and also Crush's confidence in his kid to be able to come back. And also Crush's... Uh, 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 support of him coming back. He's like, yeah, that was so good, dude. He came back and shit. Um, so that entire sort of uh, scene where they're in the current and he's interacting with crush and Dory's just having a great time with the kids and Marlon telling the story segues into my favorite scene um, because my favorite scene is the montage of Marlon's story spreading across mm. I literally
3: can't believe this dude <laughs> was that your second one? <laughs> my My favorite scene was going to be like this interaction with Crush moving into the montage I'm yeah. so mad man uh,
1: sorry um, but yeah and of course Iris will talk about this later much more but uh, I love that scene that one actually strangely enough I did tear up at the uh, swim down scene near the end. But I also teared up at this montage, which like I f- I, yeah, I don't know, I don't course. know why it's it's it's. Oh, uh... I know why. i sorry. Oh no! Yeah, I mean, I think for me the reason I teared up was because um, it's like so beautiful. Um, the 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 story of a of a father, and it's it's almost it's it's for me it's like it's almost like the story is so powerful that it like pierces itself through the geography. Does that make any sense? Like it almost no, has no, no what, what the fuck does that mean? <laughs> it, it <laughs> travels around the world. <laughs> yeah. It's it's you know, it's like a it's a story so powerful and so heartfelt that it like it it travels throughout it gains its own momentum. It's it's I don't know. Um but anyway, um yes, that is my favorite scene. Uh it made me tear up. And honestly too, it's a really, really cool piece of writing for um the movie because obviously i think that the two storylines going on with marlin and, and nemo um are going on somewhat parallel and somewhat separate there's not a lot of interaction between them but the story that brings the two timelines to timelines um uh perspectives together and his story is what motivates Nemo to begin the whole filtration process thing. And he gives him that confidence. Um, so, I mean, after failure, right? Because that happens after he failed the first time, if I'm correct. Yes, right? I think so. Um, so it's a really cool piece of like this, the two storylines being able to share information and progress each storyline forward without it feeling forced whatsoever. It's uh, it's great.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I will say the end when the message finally gets to Nemo, he's like, "That's not my daddy." And <laughs> yeah. then uh, after like identifying that it was finally, he's like, "That's my daddy. He fought a whale and like uh, he fought off three
3: sharks." I think that part was like so sweet. Yeah. The, the line where the pelican is like, I heard he fought off three and he just holds up his feathers. And I'm like, yeah. over here sobbing. <laughs> um, yeah, well, so the, 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 the it's already been said. Um, so I'll start with Gil, right? To me, here's here's the thing, right? When watching this movie as a kid, the big element of this movie that I didn't pick up on was the way in which Nemo was being stifled, you know, by his dad. And uh, that's actually a pretty significant part of the movie. But, I, you know, as a kid, you try and... It, inhabit you know the perspective that is the closest to yours the kids and i remember being like oh man nemo's dad is like such a downer and isn't letting him do all these things and you know he's capable and uh he should let him try all this stuff and like little moments like the scene where you know he pulls the teacher aside is like he's not a strong swimmer just like you know let it if he if he needs to take a break just let him take a break from swimming and it's like imagine what that must do to a kid to hear that you know people talking about you, not even with you, just about you, you know, that every time you meet someone new, you need a disclaimer about how, I mean, it is a metaphor for disability, right? And, you know, Marlon has spent his whole life essentially telling Nemo that he is defined by his disability, right? By his smaller fin. And it, that never really, really resonated with me as a kid. And so then to see this now and to be like, oh shit, yeah, this Kids got to have all sorts of messed up stuff from all this kind of messaging, like what his father is essentially telling him over his whole life about like how you can't swim good. You can't do these things. You are not capable of this. Then to meet someone, you know, this cool, badass, uh, you know, leader character who's like, yeah, I'm just like you. He has the same disability or similar Mm -hmm. enough. But then really, like, pushes him. It's like, no, you are capable. You can do this. And in fact, you were the only one who can do this. When I was a kid, I was I kind of didn't like Gil. Because I thought he was pushing Nemo to do something really dangerous for his own end. He's like, I want to get out of here, so I'm going to make this kid take a risk. And I didn't feel that way at all watching it as an adult. I, it really did feel genuine to me that he was he was trying to encourage Nemo to believe in himself and to believe in his own potential, his own power, his own ability. And I think it's it's striking, you know, how a difference in perspective can change how things read like that. Uh, I think Gil is fantastic. I think Gil is a huge, like, the impetus for Nemo's own journey. Uh, and I, I think it's really understated how important he is to, to Nemo's growth. My favorite scene, as we've said, is the whole... It's it's sort of like two scenes that kind of blend into one. But uh, to me, it is kind of the epitome of Marlon's arc, right? It is this moment in the East Australia current where... A little baby turtle gets knocked out of the current, swims back in, and, you know, he's ready to rush in and save something. And this is his classic response, right? His trauma response, because he's, you know, got all this trauma from his wife and 399 of his kids getting killed. (laughs) You know, understandably so. But he's got this neuroticism that we see, and he freaks the fuck out at any little thing. He's a helicopter parent, right? And we see it in real life. Real parents do this kind of thing because they're so afraid of something bad happening to their kid that they don't let their kids handle things on their own they don't let their kids grow and seeing this parenting style in action seeing crush be like hey no no no, wait 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 let's see how he does he's gonna be fine if something happens we can go get him but like let's see if he can fix this on his own and then having him come back and see that that was a learning moment and a moment of triumph and victory He's like dad 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 did you see me right this this uh you know, being offered this alternative for what a parenting, what good parenting can look like. And then to move directly from that into this embodiment of how much he is willing to do for his kid. Because I think that he's complicated as a parent, but ultimately I think he's a really good dad. He laughs with his kid. He takes care of his kid. He has his issues. He's not perfect, but he tries really hard and his heart is in the right place. And I think the way that this story spreads, you're absolutely right, Michael. It does bridge the gap between these two stories, which I think like just for the overall structure of the narrative is very helpful. But I think more so than that, the way you were talking about how you know the story like has legs, right? it is it, it is the power of this this narrative that people care about Marlon. people care about what he's doing in his quest. they think it is noble, they think it is valiant. they're impressed by it and it really drives home, I guess for us like just how crazy this all is within the world of Finding Nemo, right? I think it's so easy in fantasy worlds and fantasy adventures, you know, where like, hey, the hero has to go off and do something and you know he's gonna run into all sorts of like crazy nonsense. You know, you know he's gonna like fight a troll and have to jump across a lava pit and all this other stuff. And so often narratives don't ever... Take a second and remind us, like, hey, by the way, this dude is facing, like, like, literally inches from death on a constant basis, you know, traversing dangers he's never seen or heard of before. Like, with no plan and no backup uh, and no resources, he's just, like, forging through because he's got to save his son. Like, reminding us, like, no, this is kind of fucking wild how far this guy's going and how much he's surviving. And it's all because he loves his son that much. And it is just so satisfying to me. It is so viscerally, emotionally fulfilling to see that story finally make its way all the way to Nemo in his fish tank and have this kid really realize, like not just be told, but like deeply understand just how much his dad loves him. It's so good. It's so good. And it's such a... a, a I think this 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 beacon for him of uh, the, the connection between them, right? Because that's ultimately what the story comes down to. It's a father and son's love for each other. And I just think it is so beautiful that that story is so validated and so communicated and so important.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And to bounce off of the point that you were making, uh, I feel like rewatching this as an adult, um, I mean, because as a kid, it... This movie does a really interesting thing where it provides two different storylines for two different characters and also for different audience members to latch on to. Because as a kid, what we learn from Nemo is that we do have this power, we have the strength to do things on our own. Kids can be independent, they don't always have to be like on the sidelines, they can really get things done and make a change. Whereas for the adults who are watching this movie with their kids, they're learning about, I mean, there were probably a bunch of adults who resonated with Marlon who uh, were very afraid of their kid getting hurt. And the lesson that they're taught in this movie is that it's okay to let them go on their own and be able to find out things for themselves. And, We're going to talk about this a little later, but like the trust that is put into like between parent and child, child and parent, and also the trust that's given to the people around them. The support system from the other animals also resonates to the fact that if you're a parent or if you're a kid, you can also lean on some other people who are in your lives that are there and are willing to support you. And it's just a nice message that I feel like is really topical. Even, t- uh, heck, 20 years later, after this this film released, I can feel my, my hair
2: is graying right now. Yeah, I, I I think I will say that my favorite character is Marlin, although I will shout out Nigel the Pelican, put some yes. respect on <laughs> Nigel's name. Nigel the uh, Pelican, yeah. Nigel the Pelican is, is a homie. From from start to finish, you know, not only goes and, you know, communicates things to the tank guys to, like, know things, he's the last leg in that big montage scene, gets the news to Nemo and stuff, but he also has a really cool scene with Dory and Marlin, when, you know, it's all the fucking mind seagulls and whatever, and he has to save them from it, but, like, he... He goes through the trouble of trying to get, you know, so, so close. They can see each other. And then they don't end up seeing... They don't end up being able to reunite at that time. And Nigel is like, he's heartbroken. He, he gave it his all and he thinks that he failed and whatever. But then they eventually do meet up. Um... But I think that, you know, a lot of Iris, a lot of what you had talked about earlier kind of bleeds into the, the strengths of Marlin as a character. And Alex, you had also mentioned about how, uh, you know, as parents in that movie theater, probably a lot of what they were kind of empathizing with comes with, you know, Marlin's really, really kind of poignant and accurate portrayal of what a true helicopter parent is, I guess. Because there are a lot of, you know, I've seen, you know, quite a few parents that are really on the, you know, the 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 way the, the very end of that scale, and, you know, it's all kinds of different problems and stuff, but Marlin does have every, like, his heart is definitely in the right place, and he really wants, you know, he, it's not so much that, you know, he does really love Nemo, but he's also terrified of losing him, and that's what drives him to do a lot of what he does in the movie, and I think that one of the, one of the things that I missed having watched this movie, you know, just today was that he remarks about Nemo's, you know, f- you know, uh, smaller fin as his lucky fin, yeah, and it's like a kind true. of a thing about how, you know, oh, this is your lucky fin. It's your lucky fin. Give me, you know, fin five or whatever. But every time he talks to the adults, the Lucky Finn is a detriment. Yes. The Lucky Finn is yes, immediately yes, pointed yes, out as yes, yes, like, yes. this is a disability. You have to accommodate Nemo for this. You know, he can't swim as much. Give him a 10 to 15 minute break to catch up and stuff. Like, Nemo is within earshot of this. How do you think he feels, you That's know, exactly taking what I'm this, saying, thing, exactly yeah, this thing? That's exactly what I'm saying, man. That's exactly what I'm saying. Right, this is this thing that he he thinks is a point of pride for him. Like, oh, this makes me unique, this makes me feel cool. And it's not. It's actually just a liability in Marlon's eyes. Like, that's a really, like... Kids can determine and see these things. And I think a lot of parents miss that sometimes. Like, parents think that they have their kid's best interest in mind when they bring these things up, when, you know, the kid is, is facing this existential crisis in front of their eyes, like, as these things are being said. I think it's just... I've never seen something like that before in a movie. And I think it's just, uh, it was really cool to just notice that this time, you know, being more mature than whatever, seven years old uh, when I was in t- 2003. And you the other thing the I want to... Yeah, like, like,
3: I think it is such an accurate portrayal of how even well-meaning adults can, if you do not, like, give kids the credit they deserve, because kids are smart and kids are observant, if you do not give them the credit they deserve, even well-meaning stuff can be harmful
2: right right and the other thing is with dory because dory suffers from uh, arguably another kind of blatant display of a disability this is short-term memory loss and the way that marlin interacts with her it's a it's a mix of you know he's exasperated he can't you you know sometimes he just cannot stand dory for what she's doing you know he that whole scene where um uh shit what is he what is he railing on her about um it's the uh, the whale. No, the whale. The whale. He insists that Dory can't speak whale. And Dory continues to try and do it. And, you know, it's not really confirmed that Dory can actually speak whale. Of course, the whale does come by. If but, I remember correctly, it might have been confirmed in finding Dory that probably, she can speak whale. I think so, yeah. yeah. right, right. And there's this whole thing about how he absolutely is just, like, stop. He's like, stop, Dory, you can't speak whale. What you were doing is just stupid and dumb and it's not helpful but it does end up helping. And, like, it helps in a different way, right? It, 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 it releases the tension in the situation. It allows, you know, Marlin to kind of reorient himself. And eventually, you know, obviously it's pretty cool that they get blown out of the blowhole of the whale to survive. Which, you know, probably not accurate marine-wise. But, um, you know, he gives that thank you in the whale voice. He's like, he's, he's elated that they made it out alive. You know, without small part to Dory's, you know... Whale speaking voice. I just think that there's there's some beauty in that. I guess there's something cool about how seeing this this parent figure who you know is basically chiding a child or someone with the brain of a child has this kind of moment of clarity.
1: Yeah, uh, just really quickly, that moment in the whale where he accidentally says Nemo's name instead of Dory's name mm-hmm. is yep. the that always hits. the part of the that movie hits. where I'm like, oh god. <laughs> well,
3: that's that's the critical juncture. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. I mean. I mean, Dory is sort of the the training for when he eventually meets Nemo. Like you said, Marcus, um Marlin is like frustrated with her. She is someone he needs to support. And she's uh in more cases in more often than not, she is like a bit of a hindrance to him that is keeping him from getting to Nemo. And it is in that scene with the whale where he first starts to learn to like put his trust in others to because he lets he believes in Dory. He's like, okay, I'm going to believe you, and I'm gonna let go of the tongue of this whale, and we're gonna get shot out, the the blowhole. But that is like one of the that along with Crush is one of the concrete moments of Marlin's growth, where he learned to trust others from Crush. He is putting that trust in action with dory it's also why dory is like such a key part of this film
3: yeah uh briefly i will actually disagree with you on the assertion that dory is more often a hindrance to marlin than a help because i don't think i think the first concrete thing that marlin did was running away from the anglerfish long enough for dory to read the mask but she handled uh like I think, getting the mask in the first place. I mean, she handled the whole thing with, like, the Alcoholics Anonymous uh, shark meeting, (laughs) right? Because Marlon was just there petrified, and Dory was actually the one, like, chatting with them. Uh, She was the one who handled getting them out of the boat and actually getting the mask back from Bruce. She was the one who handled reading the mask in the first place. She was the one who was able to convince the School of Fish to get directions. Like, she was the one who even knew, like, where they were supposed to go to not do the jellyfish. And, of course, Marlon dismissed her. And, like, fortunately, Marlon was able to recover from that one, but... Like I would say on the whole, I think Dory did more to get them there than Marlon did. That's fair. Um but the actual point I was gonna make, which I fear may have been lost in my <laughs> in my in, in my
2: gotcha. Your, in your quest to correct Alex, you've lost <laughs> what you actually wanted to say. <laughs> your your
3: defense of Dory.
2: <laughs> in my
3: defense of Dory. Uh shoot.
2: Iris, I'll keep the ball rolling. Thank you. You you, you let those gears turn. I
3: know. You know what? It's probably not coming back and that's okay. There's a lot of things to say and, you know, there's no way we could get to all of them. But yeah, I do want to say... Oh, no, I remembered it. Sorry. Go on, go go for it. Okay, well, the thing thing I was going to say was what I really love about Marlon's character development over the course, right, as he learns, you know, as you say with Dory, he learns, you know, how to trust her, right? Even though, uh, you know, she has this disability, even though, you know, there are things she struggles with as compared to him, he learns to trust her for her strengths and the things that she can do that he cannot. He learns to see them. And what I really love is that a lot of those moments come in these moments... Of essentially just, like, being like, fuck it, I'm gonna go with it, right? In uh, these moments of emotions, like, I'm so happy to be alive. But when they get out of the whale, it's this, oh my god, sweet, sweet water, like, we're not going to die, thank you, because you you know, he's playing along, right? Uh... And it's it it's, it doesn't read as he suddenly had a change of heart and fully believes her. It's an emotional thing. He's swept up in the moment. He's swept up in the adrenaline. But it's these seeds that get planted that he then builds upon later, right? And, and this it happens multiple times. I think uh, uh, I'm pretty sure there's a moment like that when they get out of the like away from the anglerfish. Even
2: even when he's talking to Crush, like he starts saying "dude" and stuff in the same way that Crush does, as it, like. It's completely emotional. Like he does it, kind of just to convince himself that, like, well, maybe if I start talking like Crush, I'll be like, I in honestly way, think understanding the way he he's a dad to Squirt. Well, that's exa- I
3: honestly think that it is, you know, less about him like thinking, oh, this will help me get, you know, more close to this person. I think it's natural to him. I think he's not even like deciding to do this. I think it is part and parcel of what makes him a good dad. He is willing to play along. He is willing to play along. He does that with Nemo, right? We see them at the beginning, you know, all the little games they play and the tag and the jokes and the goose and stuff. he's just like, he's got this dad energy and that somehow like uh, uh, maneuvers him, you know, without even realizing it into this growth because he starts empathizing with people.
1: I just wanted to quickly add one more thing about uh, Dory that I'm maybe not necessarily realizing right now, but was kind of always in the back of my head of like, Dory's sort of innate wisdom about her. Like she is very wise in a sense. Um, and the moment I always bring up is when they're in the EAC and Marlon is commiserating like, Oh, I always promised I need to get, I need to find Nemo. I always promised that I would never let anything happen to him. And she responds, that's a weird thing to say because if you said that, then nothing will ever happen. Yeah. to him." And I was yeah. like, Oh, my God, that's the message of the movie. <laughs> Big brain. Um, yeah. And it's, but
3: it's not the only time they say the message of the movie. And exactly. in fact, Marlon has to get that message several times for it to sink in, exactly. which, you know, good story writing. Anyway, I'm done.
1: Yes. But, no, but I mean, to your point, I think that it is cool that he can it, it's it's the turnaround. It's part of the turnaround for him when it comes to trusting Dory, that him him realizing and listening to Dory kind of for the first time being like, oh, shit, maybe you're right. Um, kind of leads him down the path and eventually turns into the the whale encounter and stuff. Um, and, like, I don't know why, but, like, also, Dory is, like, Dory is able to enjoy herself. Does that make sense? Like, Marlin kind of always, you know, I mean, you know, when he's learning to grow, always feels like he's, um, he's cautious, right? He is very, uh, t- like not timid but he's not he's never willing to relax and to give trust in, in which can be understandable obviously cuz he's looking for his lost son but like also like he has fucking PTSD like. exactly so it's it's one of those things where it's like Dory's free loving nature sort of helps him begin to cope with that and i think it's really cool how they're they're able to lay that in to uh Marlon's growth
3: also on that point since we we're talking about Dory and how well written of a character she is, my runner up for my favorite scene, my honorable mention, which I didn't say at the time.
2: Uh, uh, so you're going to get your runner up before <laughs> I get my actual favorite scene? Are we still not it? favorite I haven't runner? given that yet. No. I haven't given that yet.
3: <laughs> Go for it, ours. Well, now I feel bad. Uh, right, I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I don't know how this keeps happening, man. We just get into the middle of these discussions, and I'm like, okay, surely we finished the favorite character moment bit, like, 20 minutes ago. You gotta tell us when this... Okay, anyway. I just did. <laughs> so, <laughs> so sorry, the, sorry. the other... Uh, just a scene I want to shout out, right? And This the, this crux of Dory's character, I think. To me, well, also one of the most heartbreaking scenes in the film is right after Marlin thinks that Nemo is dead, and they get dropped off by Nigel the pelican, and... Marlon starts to go, and Dory is just... The scene where, essentially, she's there on the opposite sides of the screen, and she is begging him, with his back turned, she's begging him not to leave, because she's like, I can remember things better. This is, you are helping me. Like, I can be a fuller person, and I did something good, and no one has ever stuck with me this long, and this is like, literally the only, like, thing I think I have ever had. Just just heartbreaking. And... I, I think it really drives home for us because so much of the focus is on Marlon and Marlon's son is missing and Marlon has to get here and Dory's just along to help and, like, what is she getting out of this? It doesn't matter because Marlon's the one. And, like, yes, it's all true. Nemo being gone is a pretty big, important fucking thing. But, like, this is the... Probably this journey with Marlin is the one and only good thing that she can remember, period. And it is the one and only thing that has ever made her you know, better able to deal with her disability. And I don't have anything else to say other than wow, is that poignant? And wow, is that heartbreaking? I think that's honestly, to me, the saddest scene of the film.
2: You nailed it, because that was my favorite scene. Oh, no! (laughs) Oh, God. Marcus, we, we need to, like, have pay reparations I think to that, you. I think that 1D4 is a good idea because maybe <laughs> one day, I don't believe I've actually ever gone first in terms of <laughs> I, on the, okay. character. Okay, the okay. So maybe we should. <laughs>
3: so it's just I'm like a whole salty. cavalcade of stealing scenes, huh?
2: I'm not salty. I'm not salty. <laughs> Let me tell you. I can, I can handle it. But anyways, Alex, go for it.
3: Oh no. I... no! 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 You don't get off that easy. You have to say what you think about that scene.
2: <laughs> okay. 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 Um, I think that they the the real thing about like the fact that Dory essentially is just gushing her guts out at Marlin and being like, "You make me, you know, feel like a better person," is perhaps one of the like. Like, Dory is, as you said, Iris, Dory is not necessarily a central character to the movie, but this makes her the central character. Like, she has been along for the ride the entire time, and, like, she, like, even though she can barely, like, she's gotten hurt at multiple points during this trip, she can't remember a lot of parts of the trip, she barely, like, she even starts to to forget the the address on the mask, and, like, as Marlon goes away, like, that's heartbreaking. Like, she was actually feeling like she was not a burden. Which is the thing... That's the central thing to Dory's character. She yes. has felt like she's been the burden. Like, you know, Marlon had to go and rescue her from the jellyfish. Marlon had to, you know... Like, even though she did the good things... And, you know, helped them get out of the whale. Helped them, you know, she can read English. She understood what the address was on the mask. She has, at, uh, at multiple points in the movie... Realized that her, you know, short-term memory loss... Has cost them either time... Or, you know, valuable, like, insight into how they can continue on their quest, so to speak. Um, And she recognizes that, and she's like, holy shit, I am, you know, I'm doing the same thing I've always been doing, which is forgetting and not being helpful. And that's why she's been alone for most of her life, and obviously we didn't watch Finding Dory for this movie, but Finding Dory... As much as I don't like Ellen DeGeneres now that all that stuff has come to light, it's also a pretty decent movie. It's a good insight to Dory's own journey and, you know, her relationship with her parents and how she came to be and stuff like that. And I think it's a good movie as well in its own right. Um, but that scene is, is really just her being like, you know, this is the first time anybody has ever really given me a lick of respect and, you know seen me as more of a partner than anything else and I can't afford to lose that now because I know I'm going to go back to exactly what I was before without that so that was really sad and I didn't cry at all in this movie and I didn't I don't think I've ever cried having watched this movie multiple times but that's about as close as I'll get I think that was really really sad in, in terms mm-hmm. of the, certainly the saddest scene in the movie yeah definitely tugs on your heartstrings
0: um well, why don't we shift gears from talking about character moments to talking I, I do want to get your opinion on the animation uh and the the sort of setting of this movie because i I really love like granted it's beautiful and it's amazing and I actually do want to draw us back to Shark Tales because in comparison that movie looks like a terrible 3D animation in comparison to this. <laughs> I still don't understand, like you said Marcus, how it got worse over the past couple of years, like from in between. But yeah, Pixar really nailed the 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 atmosphere of this underwater environment. I will say every time that they're over like The in the open ocean, and there's nothing below them, I still get chills from that. That's, like, sort of a a fear of mine, just being out there in the middle of nowhere in the ocean. But I also really love the small details. I think the scenes that, the parts that always make me laugh are when uh, the fish, whoever it is, uh, is, like, going up into the air, and they're, like, talking or yelling, but... They always come down and like take a gulp of water before they go up into the air, just to just to illustrate uh, um, like that change of environment. And it's those little things that I really love and keep me keep me uh, interested and keep me coming back to this movie. Uh, but what about the rest of y'all? What did you think about the animation and the setting of Finding Nemo?
1: Yeah, um, as you said, animation is absolutely gorgeous. I want to specifically shout out the facial animations. Or should I say the official animation? But specifically, I don't understand how they're able to get so much expressiveness out of Marlin's face. And also Dory's face. And also Bruce the shark's face. Holy shit. Yes, um, Yes. Like his grin goes like meters in length, but <laughs> it somehow still works. And it really gives them this personified emotion and personality that is like so cool. Um, Dory, for me, Dory specifically, because I, uh, um uh, what is it? Like, there's a lot of moments where we are very close to her face and it, it does not go into Uncanny Valley whatsoever. Like, I don't, it's perfect. Um, how much, it, it, there's so much detail in her expressiveness and her sort of like subtle, uh, you know, m- uh, m- Oral movements, maybe I should say, is um, mannerisms. Mannerisms, yeah, it's it's really really good. Um, and um, I love the turtles, <laughs> um, not just because they're really cool and really and, and animated really well, um, but because the setting. First of all, I actually, okay, <laughs> this is so weird. So when I watched this as a kid, for some reason, it never popped into my head that the Great Barrier Reef was in Australia and or near Australia. I like thought it was somewhere completely different and they, it was like a separate entity. Yeah. And they, and they swam I mean, it, all the way to Australia, right? Australia. But uh, like the first, the literal bar, barring the geography of the Great Barrier Reef, the sharks all have Australian accents. And I was like, Oh shit, that makes sense. <laughs> um, And also, yeah, so, like, it's one of those things where you don't think about when you're like, oh, right, they, like, are actually kind of near and or in Australia right now. Um, But the thing about the turtles, right, Um, I was talking about this earlier with Crush and how he treats uh, uh, Squirt, that he has this line where he talks about, like, oh, yeah, children are great. We kind of just lay our eggs somewhere, and then four years later, whatever, they know how to come right back to us. And it's one of those things where... Like this is the lesson that Marlon needs to learn right now. And also the biology is, is supporting the biology the is so thesis. good. The, mm-hmm. yeah, the like, biology is so good. The biology supporting the thesis of this movie is so, so good. It's it's kind of it's like it's one of those things where this is what this is how you make a thematic movie, where it's like this is a movie about fish, and they're able to use knowledge about fish. To support and also progress their story, um, it's phenomenal. So when I mention specifically the turtles, that's what I'm talking about. It's it's great.
3: Also, I'll I'll point out another instance of saying the theme of the movie, but Marlon needs more opportunities to let it sink in. Yes. Uh, if as far as we're talking about production um and like the animation process of it and all i want to give a real shout out uh and this is i think coming back to your question about what made shark tail so different uh, many things like many 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 yeah. many things <laughs> but uh your point about the facial animations not slipping into uncanny valley but still feeling like they are on fish i think is the big one like there's just some beautiful beautiful animation being done there, right? That feels accurate to both humans and the fish that they are portraying, right? And, like, the Pixar team apparently did, like, a whole, like, ichthyology, like, crash course in order mm-hmm. to, like, really, like, have a grip on the anatomy of these creatures that they're yeah. portraying. But I think the other really important thing is the way they animate water is phenomenal for 2003. The 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 way that they depict, um, like, particulates floating in the ocean, the way they depict light beams kind of diffusing in from the surface, right? It's it's beautifully done and, like, very, I don't want to say stark, I don't know, bold, very, like, present. Uh, I think they, they did just, just in, in general, the water. I don't know enough about the nuts and bolts of it to comment more specifically. But I think they did a fantastic job portraying, you know what an underwater environment would have looked like. You know, the 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 movement of fins, how, how things float and sway with the currents. Honestly, the only thing that felt even slightly, like, not extremely close to reality was the way that the East Australia current was green instead of blue. And that's just because they had to find a way to actually depict an ocean current on <laughs> screen. Like, it doesn't actually look like anything. It's just moving water. So... I, I really think that the amount of care and attention to detail that went into the water specifically, this kind of ubiquitous but unspoken element of literally every scene in the movie, uh, was just very, very well done.
0: Yeah, and uh, to add on to the water animation, there's this one scene where... Yes, I was going to mention we, that. Yeah, where on, we see uh, Gil and Nemo talking from like the outside of the tank they're in, and we the camera lies on like one side of the tank like the shorter side of the tank as it pans over to the longer side and as we make that switch from glass pane to longer glass pane the refraction of the water changes like you can s- it mimics basically like actual light refraction in water because they'll be in one spot spot over here and as we shift to the next uh next part of the tank, they are in a different spot because of how water bends or light bends in water, not water bends in light. Um, and the light is water bending, <laughs> but it's like, how, how long did it take to figure something out like that? Did they just like f- fix the models in specific alignments, or did, is there like a program that runs on top of this? It's all these little things that. It really if you peel back the layers, there's so much effort that goes into creating a film like this. Uh, and like you said, Iris, these animators really did study up on the biology of these fish to see how they moved um, to see like how they should animate them underwater. And we can see that in how, I think one of the more telling signs is when like at right at the very beginning, when Nemo is being taken, by the uh the dentist how he swims and looks like panicked that seems like actual fish behavior fish movement
3: yeah i mean i i want to just like point out two things uh quickly on this topic one is that they were quite literally inventing the techniques and the technology used to animate water like this right like quite literally they were the ones who made that even possible because i don't believe that anything like that style of animation for 3D water had been done before. Uh, and second they were still developing it and I know The Incredibles very well I know a lot about The Incredibles because it is one of my favorite movies and so this is a bit of trivia that I know there's a scene about halfway through the movie where they, the plane blows up and they fall into the ocean and a big animation concern for that particular scene was animating Violet's hair because you know she's got the long hair um, Helen and Dash have short hair it's not a huge deal but animating Violet's long hair rippling billowing through the water was actually something that was very difficult for them and something that had to put a significant amount of technological development into making it happen. So when you realize right that all of their animation uh, technology, software, techniques, uh, style, etc from finding Nemo like definitely went into the animation of that particular underwater scene and it still was not perfect, I feel like to me that just makes the actual finished product of finding Nemo even better because they did that like they hadn't even finished inventing it all the way. There was still more to be done. And yet they went through such detail that it looks just, I think, every, un, every scene that is fully underwater, I think, looks flawless. Uh, and 2003, 2003, it was like, it, it had been what, you know, like eight years since Toy Story came out? like when when the literal medium was invented by also the same institution like it's just hard to overstate like how impressive of a feat this was and in such a way that i think the most impressive part is that you don't even notice yeah
2: yeah it feels contemporary almost the way that the uh, the animation has held up i like i am going to bring up bugs life again cuz there are certain scenes where there's water rushing it is night and day it is, it, like, <laughs> it looks so bad in bugs life and one of the many issues like in that movie but uh it certainly has not aged well um but i think that um another really uh cool aspect that i didn't catch on was like in the beginning like the coral reef is bright and there are a lot of colors and they're all kind of they're, they're muted in the way that they are underwater in, in a sense, but there's an etherealness to it. They glow, the colors glow. There's a lot of different colors and stuff. All the fish are multicolored. And then you get to the drop-off and it's just dark. It's that thalassophobia, you know, like the just the the darkness that extends beyond. When Marlin is chasing the boat for the first time and he loses the sight of the boat and he comes up and he looks around, it's water everywhere. He comes down under the surface, it's water everywhere. Like that's, that's some creepy shit. And they, you know, they nailed that vibe to it. Um, but there's also kind of something cool about how, like, as he goes through and journeys through the ocean, he finds things that he didn't know were there. Like, he, he sees the ocean for more than just a kind of a dark unknown. He, you know, finds, you know, the jellyfish, and there's a beauty to all of that, uh, except probably the dark depths where the anglerfish is. He probably doesn't find that beautiful, but, uh, a lot of other places, he there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of character to the ocean in that way. Uh, Firstly, I, I
3: I said this while we were watching the movie. I wonder how many kids developed thalassophobia or, like, submechanophobia or something from watching this movie. Because they really do a great job of, like, capturing the yeah. the terror. Just of, keep swimming. Uh, just deep, keep just swimming. Uh, and second, there's actually less to this point, but I wanted to end on it because I think it's the more interesting thing to talk about further. I want to emphasize and agree with what you said about Marlon's journey, partly being about him discovering that the ocean does have good and beautiful and fantastic and uh whimsical and joyful things in it and that is more than just a danger to be regarded with fear and distrust Mm -hmm.
0: yeah definitely there are definitely moments where we see that the beauty of the ocean Uh, i do also it kind of not exactly a counterpoint but i do want to highlight the scarier parts as well and the dangers of the ocean because Without it, they there's not as much. There wouldn't have been as much tension. I can definitely see like an alternate universe Finding Nemo movie where we don't have the sharks, we don't have the anglerfish, uh, where we don't have the jellyfish scene, which honestly was the scariest scene for young Alex as a kid, just because of how alien and sort of unfeeling they were. They were more of a force rather than uh a person um but yeah without the without the risk of the open ocean it takes away from the journey that marlin and dory goes through and i mean the ocean is a scary place there are a lot of dangers in there and i'm really glad that the story was able to highlight that as well that it's it's a it's a pretty dark world in the ocean but because of that and perhaps despite that the that makes the like peaceful moments
3: and the moments you spend with loved ones all the more important. Don't pull punches from kids' movies. You're not protecting kids from something that they couldn't handle in the first place, and it just makes your movie worse. Exactly
1: Lay
2: on the trauma.
1: <laughs> Wait, are you saying that the message of this movie could be spread across spread across the medium itself?
3: <laughs> just like water.
2: Oh, my. Maybe. It's like poetry. <laughs> Maybe the real story were the fish friends we made along the way. I think the real... The real food was the fish friends. <laughs> oh, no. Are, are, are jellyfish
1: fish?
3: No.
0: Uh, yeah, technic- no. They not. are invertebrates.
1: Okay, I for a second I thought what I just asked was a dumb question because they have fish in their name and then I realized I don't think they're fish and I was like my brain just kind of (laughs) did a thing I was like oh my god they're basically
3: they're basically mobile anemones
1: right
2: it is interesting though with fronds like these
1: who needs anemones (laughs) oh my god
2: (laughs) it is interesting though that they are the only they're the only uh, source of life in this movie that doesn't have a voice or like uh, any kind of personality to them or any kind of personification I guess is a better word which I will also point out like th-
3: there are some there are a few small moments where I'm like ah, about that because it's like the pelican you know tries the the nameless pelican tries to eat Nemo and Marlin Nigel comes in he's like oh well a couple of fish you know giving my buddy a hard meal he's like I have to find my son he's like holy shit I know your son and then suddenly he's he's graduated from meal to friend right? Or like the part where they where uh, they talk about a snail going wild at the petting zoo. Was the snail like not <laughs> sentient? What is the, what is the, uh, uh like, are where, we, where's the line? Are, are you, are you line? saying that we're
1: talking about the magic system? I'm just kidding. <laughs> we're talking about
3: like, where's the line of sentient versus non-sentient animals? Because if the snail wasn't sentient, we saw like a squid or an octopus or whatever the... You know, little little baby pink ink squirty tendril guy was. We saw another mollusk that was sentient. Wait, did we? Yeah, the the, the kid on the playground. You know, he's like you made me ink. All, I guess uh, also technically Jacques in the tank is a mollusk,
1: right? He's yes. a he's an invertebrate. He's a shrimp. He's a shrimp. He's yeah. a shrimp. Wait, shrimp. So that's not. Yeah. A he's in, he's invertebrate. Right? Not a mollusk. No,
3: he's a he's a, an arthropod. Right. Um. So we were we, like as with the movie going on Alex and I were like
1: lie.
3: well we were coming up with increasingly more <laughs> arbitrary rules of like who is and isn't sentient
1: based all on this one uh snail comment Hey maybe the, the krill ma- even the krill are like yeah lame. exactly yeah, like, maybe the jellyfish are sentient they just can't understand them <laughs> They just don't speak They speak an alien so like, language Well so yeah, that
2: is the ocean aliens yeah. The, yeah Is the anemone sentient Oh. oh god uh, oh yeah. no oh, yeah. they don't have a centralized yeah. brain so is I the think... house made of flesh <laughs> 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 he screams or he does not know oh my oh god
0: my god <laughs> um, yeah what's what's that quote if fish could scream the ocean would be loud as shit or something
3: <laughs> i thought that was about like if if we could hear the sun something like that yeah I, but, yeah, but um, yeah, if we could hear the I, sun I, I garen... loud as shit I guarantee
0: the ocean in Finding Nemo would be very loud from all the fish screaming as they're being eaten. But also, I, I also just want to touch on the uh, the the joke that made me laugh the hardest was the Nigel joke when he was like, "Oh man, sun's just risen and he's already can't walk." <laughs> it's obviously like a drinking joke. So yeah. it's like, yeah. God, he's already drunk past past ten. Yeah. I thought that was so funny.
2: The only thing I'll end this discussion on the animation is the only thing that I think could have been better, and obviously it's two thousand three, is that when the fish are out of water, yes. they're too shiny. They yeah, are well, they they like they're wrapped in cellophane. I mean which, they're out of water, they're very
3: shiny. Also I think the surface of any water seen from air was like just kind of very dark right. Yeah, uh, very yeah. very opaque in a weird way. You can't
2: tell the water is on their surf- like their skin mm-hmm. or whatever or their
3: scales. Yeah. But like as I say they were still developing this technology and I think they did a good job of like intentionally moving all the camera shots away from seeing the surface. So sure. for the most part except where it was completely unavoidable, uh they did a good job of like covering for that gap in their animating ability.
1: I would also say that honestly having the camera inside the water is honestly kind of harder than it being on the surface and basically i think that they put their resources where like they prioritize those resources in imp- uh well in oh, oh that yeah i mean 90 percent of the movies exactly so course, it's like yeah. focus on those things we can kind of let those right. things by and you're, you're right it's like it's not perfect but they were able to edit around those really well it's a good movie it's a good movie it's a good movie, movie. if you haven't Go-
3: seen it yet like truly i'm shocked for you listener yeah Go watch it again if you have seen it. Oh, it's so good. Go watch it again and then call your dad.
0: (laughs) All right. Well, that'll do it for us, folks. Thank you so much for listening. This week's video that you can watch online is called A Water Path for a Fish by Mercedes Morrow. And next week, we will be talking about Spike's family. And finally, Iris, I think you have... A little bit of announcement.
3: Yes, an announcement. Uh, you may know uh, as the, uh, I don't know, communications director for Couchcast LLC. <laughs> Uh, Every time that our email address gets brought up, I drop it in this podcast, and I wanted to share the exciting announcement that we have had our first fan mail, so we wanted to say a very special thank you and a huge shout out to Alfredo. You are currently our favorite fan. Thank you so much for emailing (laughs) in. We love to hear it, and... Uh, If any of the rest of you want to reach out to us to talk about the things we've said, to tell us that you think that we're wrong and stupid and that you hate us and you want to tell your own opinion instead, if you think that we're (laughs) the smartest people on the planet uh, and you want to agree with us and shower us with praise and compliments, any and all of those things, you can find us at bestseatpodcast at gmail.com. Please send us your mail. We would love to hear from you. Once again, bestseatpodcast at gmail.com. And Alfredo, you rock. You're the best. Thank you so much. Thank you, Alfredo. And uh, Iris, thank you for inviting hate
0: mail to our our fan <laughs> mailbox. Hey,
3: all news is good news.
0: That <laughs> you will make me stronger.
1: Yes. Oh, my
0: um But yeah, hit us up with your favorite moments and characters uh, for whatever you just listened to. But uh, once again. Thank you to Ben for our intro and outro theme. You can check out his own podcast, Real Beasts, on Spotify. And once again, thank you so much for listening. And you will hear from us next week. Bye-bye.
2: Goodbye. Thank you. Thanks, everyone.